And it's always good to know what to do. Don't you just want to know what to do sometimes? Someone, I think I've shouted it. Just tell me what to do. What do I do? Uh, this is so long ago. This memory is burning in my brain. College, sitting at the lunch table or the dinner table, five or six guys, and one of them is hanging on by a, a very thin thread. Like he was <laughs> losing it, and he was passionately just, I am about to go over the edge. I'm, there's so much pressure. I'm this and that. And he's losing his mind. And while he was just lamenting and he was saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. He had a, like, he was eating pizza. He had a piece of cheese hanging down from his, from his uh, chin. We're just a bunch of college guys. We barely know what to do with the situation in the first place. It's like, I'm imagining in my head what kind of things are going to get said when he's done, you know. But um, just about that time where he just wrapped it all up and said, if I wish someone would tell me what to do, my roommate sat down and he said, I'll tell you what you can do. You can wipe that cheese off of your chin. That'd be a good place to start. It just, br- it just broke the ice. You know, it's just this wonderful moment. These little steps, you know, just, just start with the stuff. Clean up your face a little bit. It's hard to know what to do. Just give me something. I think it's why those bracelets are popular. Are we still wearing WWJD bracelets around? What would Jesus do? That just when I was, yeah, maybe not. I've seen them, probably on old people who just haven't taken them off yet. I don't know. It's a good way to live. I mean, who would argue with that? What would Jesus do? If you're doing what Jesus would do, much better life, for sure. The flip side of that coin, maybe the, maybe the bad news, is that idea, what would Jesus do? As a, as a lifestyle, as good as it is, misses Jesus almost altogether. The, the message of Jesus himself wasn't, do what I do. That's not what he said. Again, good to do, but that was not what he came to introduce. It's not the gospel. At the core of the Christian life, we do not find an admonition about what you and I should do. It's about what Jesus does that we could never do. What would Jesus do? Good way to live. Not the core of Christianity. If we believe that or we promote that, we aren't actually promoting We're not actually doing our job as ambassadors for Christ. Todd talked so eloquently about it last week. We're not doing the job of taking the message, the core message, the kingdom message. It's a completely other message. One of the disenchantments, we've been talking about how uh, Jesus, one of the things he does is uh, break us from the enchantments of this world. What he teaches, what we read about him in the scriptures is him kind of breaking through this lull, this, this, you know, this, this darkness, this inability to understand what life is about. We're enchanted by all these things. And one of the things that he is disenchanting us of is this powerful, this, this compelling nature within us to perform. And to achieve. You can feel that in your life, right? 
feels good to be successful. And when we're not successful, we wish we were at something, anything. All those performances and all those achievements and all that success that we either have or that we're pursuing are substitutes for finding the affirmation of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Everybody is everybody, not just Christians, every soul, every creation of God made in his image, man and woman, is in search of the affirmation of God. We mostly are misdirected in our efforts to find it because we're focused on what we can do to get it. God prefers our weakness, not our strength. He talks about it in the Old Testament. Jesus talks about it in the New. He would rather that we be weak than pretend that we're strong. Because in that space, his powerful work, what he does, is on display as an answer to our weakness. What better way to show how great someone is by having them do for someone else what they cannot do for themselves? Jesus isn't looking to make you great or me great. He is looking for you and I to recognize and proclaim that he is great. It's about what he does. It'd be better if it was WDJD. What did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Ask me that. And now I'll be talking about the gospel. Uh, Paul writes about this in the book of Galatians. So sometimes you, you, know, you read the scriptures and there's, there's always, always something good in the, the, the scriptures that are alive um, in the spirit. And every now and then, you just get one in a version, you think, woof. And in Galatians, he's talking about this very concept about the nature of how we're trying to work to get our approval. And he says, um, and this is in Galatians 5, 6, he says, there's really only one thing that counts. And he referenced the one thing that the Jews did that was the most important to them, the, the thing that marked them as godly people and he said, not even that doesn't count. The only thing that counts is faith. Your work doesn't count. It's literally nothing, the only thing that counts. And we want to say, well, is that the only thing? Or do you mean just the priority? No, the only thing that counts is faith. Paul's reflecting what Jesus came to say. Scroll all the way back to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at a little bit of 9 and 10 today. Go back to chapter 1, and Jesus is proclaiming the good news, the message, and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, which means turn to me. Turn away from all this doing. Turn to me and do this stuff. No, he doesn't say that. He says, turn to me and believe. Believe this. Believe what I'm telling you. It's, it's good news. Your performance is not what the approval and the affirmation God, of God is uh, where it finds its origination. That's not it. Believe. Dr. Todd did a great job last week talking about the fact that the kingdom life 
is now. Not in full, but at least in part. We'll be in full later, but it is now. And there is something for us, of course, to do within it. The teachings of compassion and justice, they, 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 they can't be delayed. We should do, but the doing doesn't replace the reconciliation and the affirmation that comes from God by faith. It's hard. This is very hard for the disciples to get a hold of, us included. Very hard. Even when we intellectually understand that it's not about what I do that pleases God, we still feel guilty when we don't do and we feel like we've lost him. But Jesus keeps coming back to faith. Faith. Listen, it's not about what you do. In, in Mark 9, 42, he refers to, he, he's been talking about children. He talks about children a little bit. And then he talks about adults a little bit. And then he talks about adults a little bit more. And then he says this, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, those little ones, what does he mean when he says that? If anyone causes these little ones, it leads me to believe that the children were probably still around. He had talked to them. He had encouraged them. He had drawn them in. And now he was talking to the adults and the children are still there. And he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, which switches it suddenly. Now that you realize, oh, we thought he was talking about kids. He's talking about anyone who has decided to follow Jesus because anybody who tried to follow Jesus at that point is doing something that was brand new. There weren't any Christians at this time that were older than a couple years. So suddenly he's referring to everybody as little ones, which makes sense because he said, you should come to me like a child. So he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, to stop walking by faith. This is how we, you got here, by faith. This is what I taught you. If anyone causes them to stumble, to, to stop walking by faith, it'd be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. This is forceful. Is Jesus serious about faith? He's serious about breaking the enchantment that we have with performance? Yes, he is. Because he says, if you try to draw somebody of faith into a space of performance, have you ever been in a church where that's happened? Sadly, yes. I would suspect you may have even felt that here. At times, maybe rightly or wrongly, but it's, but it's wrong at its core. He said, it's not about your performance. And if, you, if you're pulling somebody into a performance salvation space rather than a faith space, it's better for you if a large millstone, millstone were hung around your neck. You draw people back into your little kingdom of working where you have all the answers and you're the powerful one, you pull them and get them to do your bidding, your little performance kingdom. It would be better if you, in your high and mighty space, where you're saying you know it all and you're trying to get everybody to know what you know or respect what you do, it'd be better for you if you were brought down from your high and mighty world and your place of greatness. It'd be better if you were, if you, 
someone who is pulling someone away from faith, it'd be better if you were weighed down and sunk to the bottom of the world. Get off your high horse. Be better. You should know, Jesus says, how terribly fragile your reputation is, your success is. How quickly you can lose what you have. If you're putting your faith there, worse, if you're drawing someone else into that, it would be better if a big stupid rock was tied around your neck and took you down to the bottom of the sea. He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, if your hand causes you, if there's, a, if there's something in your life that's pulling you away from faith, into works, you should cut it off. <laughs> He's being very forceful. You either have a rock tied around your neck. Those that would interfere, that would complicate the gospel. If you're adding to the good news of the mercy of God that comes by faith and not by works, it would be better if you were taken away from where you can do any more harm at all. And if something in your own life is drawing you away, if you're searching for your significance in some other way and putting your faith there, whatever that is, you should cut it off. He says, it's better for you to enter eternal life maimed. It would be better for you to attend eternal life with less than what you could have if what you have is causing you to stumble away from the simplicity of the faith gospel. Searching for significance and peace through what you do and what you acquire, you should get rid of that. Do you do that? Is your relationship with God built on performance? It's shocking and disappointing to discover the truth. It is, usually. If we're not thinking about it, we tend to go there. It's up at dawn, 24-7, repeating the gospel to myself to stay away from the performance traps of this world. How many of you have an up and down relationship with God? Sometimes you feel close, sometimes you feel far. Right? We all do. Why? It's always related to what you're doing or not doing, right? You look at your life and you don't like what you see for the last two or three weeks. And so you think, oh, I'm distant from God. Or where is God? Why isn't he? <laughs> and sometimes we feel really, really close to God. And why? Because I'm, I'm killing it right now as a Christian. <laughs> I'm nailing it. My devotions are like level 1,000 right now. <laughs> the Christian life isn't built upon what you and I do, but faith and what Jesus does. WDJD, what did Jesus do? What does Jesus do? We dig into Mark 10. It's a bunch of short teachings in here. Then there's a lot more to unpack than what I'm going to cover today. I just want to look at it kind of superficially on one level today and show you how little Jesus asks anybody to do anything when he's teaching. The second little snippet in 10.13 is maybe the simplest. He's talking about children again. He says, you need to become like little children. This is what Dr. Todd said last week. Children are helpless. 
They're also willing to believe what they don't fully understand. Children are the, the opposite of performers and doers, really. They're needy. Who, to, who deals down to a three-year-old and says, what do you got to show for yourself? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm just here. Yeah. They need protection. They need affirmation. So do we. But we cover it over with a bunch of stuff that we do so we don't feel vulnerable. So we feel good about ourselves and what we do. And just know you got to be like a child. Even, even this attempt at the beginning of chapter 10 to trip Jesus up with the legalities uh, around divorce is at least in part evidence of them stumbling into the do's and the don'ts. Remember, I said this at the start. What would Jesus do? Good way to live. The do's and the don'ts have purpose. But to have them gravitate away from faith is what's devastating. You set the law up wrongly. You set the, the, the commands up wrongly. You, 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 what, what God calls us to do, when you set that up wrongly, even as a debate with the haves and the have-nots. Because what happens when you bring out the command, you bring out the law, you bring out the should, you bring out the do, as good as it is, it divides everybody, right? Those who are doing and those who are not doing. Those who are not doing and those who are doing. And that's what's going on. It divides us. Someone's always in charge of the law. Someone's, who, who's going to enforce the law? Well, whoever that is gets to make the rules, change the rules, and they're in charge. So there's certainly a division between the powerful and the poor when it comes to rules. But then it even divides the poor, which is like 99% of us. Those that aren't in power. Because now with my peers, our peers, I, I'm trying to get to be the powerful. So I'm kind of working against you in a sense. If one of us is going to get closer to the powerful, well, it should be me. So it causes all kinds of division. Divides us. There's the in crowd and the out crowd and the winners and the losers and the competent and the incompetent. Someone says, here's what's godly in our culture. In our culture today, somebody somewhere in all sorts of different ways is saying, this is what's right. Are you with me? This is what's right. Somebody over here is saying, no, this is what's right. This is what's good. And we are the winners right now because we have put the people in power in place. And we've told them we'll keep them there if they keep telling us we're right and we're good and they keep doing what we want them to do. This is what's good. And if you don't see it our way, we'll cut you off. We'll cancel you. It's divisive. Whether it's good or bad, the nature of it is divisive. 
and it divides us. So anyway, here's the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up about the law related to divorce. And they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Which is a ridiculous question for a Pharisee to ask. And Jesus says, well, what's the law? And he says, Moses says you can write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus says, yeah, but that's because your hearts were hard. <laughs> is, it, is it lawful? Jesus like, yeah, it's your law. But that law exists because your heart is hard. You were unloving. You know what leads up to divorce? What leads up to the deterioration of, of any relationship? The breaking of lots of the Ten Commandments. All we really need are the Ten. You look through it. What leads up to the, the, the fracturing of a relationship, the death of a relationship, is a whole bunch of not following after God. He says, you didn't understand the heart of God. You weren't pursuing God. If it had you, you would have developed a, a soft heart, a compassionate heart, and you would, have, you would have wanted to take care of that spouse no matter what. You would have laid down your life for them. You would have suffered on their behalf willingly and joyfully. You would, you would take care of the weak. You would take care of the outcast. Instead, Jesus is saying, you looked out for yourself and you ended up selfish and harsh. So Moses made a law. Because you were out of control. It got to the point where a man no longer compelled to stay with a woman, could just kick her to the curb. No place to go. This is first century, and, and earlier, much earlier. Women had no place. If your man kicked you out, you were stained, untouchable. It'd be better to be a widow. No one's going to take you in. No one's going to take care of you. You're worthless. So Moses put a law in place. At least give him a certificate. It says it's all in the up and up. Give her a chance. Otherwise, she's going to just sell her own body. I'm going off here. Jesus didn't get in any of that. He didn't get into any of that. He goes, yeah, it's because your heart was hard. Is it, legal? is it lawful? Yeah, your heart is hard. And he just says what God did, what God does. He says, I'm getting into your little battle. Let me tell you about what God does. This is how he answers the question, is it legal? He says, in the beginning, God created male and female. And the male will leave his mother and his father and will be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, they're one. And what God has joined together, no one separates. It's like there's only one. Divorce oftentimes, not always, 
misunderstands what God does. Marriage misunderstands what God does. I teach this when I marry people. I said, do you understand what marriage is? It's not a ceremony. It's a spiritual union. What God does with Christian marriage is undoable. Even when humanity fails, and it does, what God does is deep and it's lasting. What man does is fleeting. It's often disastrous. Jesus doesn't get into their debate. He says what Jesus does in the life of humans is phenomenal beyond recognition. There's something here that we're missing as humans in this lifetime. In some cases, we, we don't reach it. But he's like, there is what God does is rich and meaningful and deep. And unlike anything in this world, it lasts. Nothing that man can do can change what God does. This life isn't about, this Christian life isn't about what would I do like Jesus. We have to see what God does and be at least enamored by it, inspired by it, drawn to it. This world gets caught up. Christians are no exception. It's the saddest part for me. We get caught up in this zero-sum, win-lose construct of world issues. Meanwhile, people are suffering within it, broken, no matter where they land, shamed, in pain, dying. People need to experience something a million times more important than a political or a legal win. Look at Roe. That issue's been dividing this country for 45 years. And everything's changed, and it's still dividing the country. It doesn't matter. What would Jesus say about that situation? According to this passage, about a very important subject in that time, what would Jesus say? Not much. Not much about that. But he would have something to say about love and judgment and fear and self-preservation and oppression and violence, particularly among Christians. He would be in the trenches with the brokenhearted, brokenhearted himself, bandaging physical, emotional, and spiritual wounds without bias. Are you with me? I'm not commentating on what's right and what's wrong. I'm not. You want to know my opinions, you call me in. I'll tell you. What I'm saying is, in the midst of our battles, Jesus is calling us to something much deeper than those issues and what we do. He would be saying, wow, y'all's hearts are hard. Like the rich man, which is next. Look at the rich man. <laughs> he comes to Jesus and he essentially says, I've done everything. <laughs> I've done it all. 
so I can enter the kingdom, right? He's like, I, 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 I'm in, right? Jesus says, um, you lack one thing. He says, I've, I've kept all of the commandments, all of the do's and the don'ts since I was a kid. He says, you're lacking one thing. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. There's a lot of implications in here. You're following someone other than me. You're looking somewhere else for your affirmation. You're lacking. Not, he's not giving him one more thing to do. It looks like it. He's not. What's he saying? It's awfully hard to adapt to the kingdom when you've been full on leveraging this one. Pretty hard. You're pursuing the wrong things, bro. Even in your religious context, this is not about the do's and the don'ts. You've got it all together. You need to come back when your hands are empty, like a little child, and then follow me. You don't get in here because you're awesome. The face of the man just fell. He, this is a sincere man. It's like many of you, me. I don't, I don't know if anybody in this room has a Christianity that's insincere, but we are often misguided. And it's disappointing to discover that, but we need to discover that because human flourishing is on the other side of this discovery. Peace like never before is on the other side of the discovery. His face falls and he goes away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus said to his disciples after he left, listen to this, listen to exactly what he says. How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed. And Jesus said, children, back to that verse, when he said little ones, he was talking to the adults. Children, listen to what he says this time. How hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's not about the rich. But the fact that the rich guy couldn't get into heaven was disconcerting for everybody because he was blessed. That was the understanding. If you were rich, you were blessed. If you were rich, God loved you. If you weren't rich, God didn't love you. He's like, I have kept all the commands, and I'm wealthy. Ta-da! I'm the prototype. He's like, no, you're not. He says, it's harder for, for an, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know, a camel can get through the eye of a needle. If the eye of a needle is a narrow passageway, which they would often be referred to as such. But you know what can't go through? All the stuff on the camel's back. It's as hard for a rich man to get into heaven as it is for a camel to go through a very tight place. Because on the other side of that tight place is just a camel. No stuff. To get into heaven, when you get on the other side, it's just you, naked little child. Nothing. Got to be left behind. 
The disciples are amazed. They said, well, then who can be saved if the blessed are not saved? Who can be saved? If the religiously astute and profound cannot be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus looks around and he says, with man, it's impossible. Who can be saved? If it's up to man, nobody. <laughs> Jesus is saying, it's not about what you do. You need a different bracelet, guys. You need a totally different bracelet. But with God, all things are possible. The rich man can't get in. The poor person thought they, were, they had no way in. They have no capacity to perform. And he's like, but with God, anybody. There's nothing you can do. It's really hard for a rich man because he relies on himself. The rich man needs to become like a child. That's what he was missing. A sense of his neediness for God in the midst of all of his self-provision. A vulnerability, if you will. Come back, with, come back vulnerable. And then you'll understand the gospel. It's not about what we do. You know that when Jesus was crucified, there were two guys on either side of him, also on crosses? You know that? One of them was hurling insults at Jesus. He's like, hey, you're, you're the Messiah. Can you save us? Save you and us. But the other criminal rebuked that criminal and says, don't you fear God? We're all in the same sentence here. We're all going to die. You're ridiculing the only one who could save you? You're going. He's like, what are you doing? And on top of that, he says, we deserve to be up here. He's done nothing. This is, what Jesus does next is mind-blowing. He says to Jesus, his criminal, remember me. Remember me when you go into the kingdom, your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you today, you will be, you'll be with me in paradise. <laughs> Anybody grew up in church? You know how people get saved? This guy has done nothing. Nothing. What's he done? Nothing. What's he done before this? Only bad stuff. He's on a cross. He's been... He's getting crucified. This guy has nothing and has done nothing. And what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do to this undeserving societal dreg? He just welcomes him in. Think about this. Where are the four spiritual laws? Where's this snappy gospel illustration? I can draw you some very cool gospel illustrations that explain the gospel to you. And I will keep doing it. Where is the scriptural knowledge? Does this guy even know what a Bible is? I doubt it. Sinner's prayer? You, you would at least think you could walk him through the sinner's prayer. This man has done nothing. And nothing, very little is required. There's something going on in this man's heart. But from a, from a point of like stuff you have to do, 
nothing, <laughs> nothing. Alistair Begg covers this passage so wonderfully. He's a pastor up in Canton, if he's still there. He also is Scottish, so everything he says sounds 100 times better than what I say. <laughs> What's this guy going to do when he shows up? The, the, you know, the, 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 the metaphor, you know, you're, you're standing at heaven's door, the angel's like, you're trying to explain why you're coming in. Why, why? Put yourself in his shoes. Why, are you, why, should I, why should I let you in? Why are you being permitted in? If you answer that question in the first, per, first person, you've, you've immediately gone wrong. If it starts with, because I, you're on the wrong path. Because I, whatever. It has to be answered in the third question. Because he, so what I do, is what he has done. It has to be, it has to start with, because he. Can you imagine that scene? You don't know anything about the Bible? You've not, you've not been baptized? You've not given a dime? You're in no studies? You have no devotionals? But you made it? That's how Alistair says it. But you made it? How did you make it? On what basis are you here? The man on the middle cross said, I could come. It's not about what we do at all. The gospel, the good news about the kingdom, isn't about what we have done, but what Jesus has achieved. If we don't believe that, if we don't trust that, if we don't tell ourselves, we don't preach the gospel to ourselves every day, we will fall prey to the enchantments of this world that Jesus has come to disenchant us and disenfranchise us from. If I don't reinforce what did Jesus do every day, that would be a great bracelet. What did Jesus do? He did everything that I needed. The work of Christ needs to be reminded to ourselves every day, or I will be stumbling down the slope of a deteriorating life, deteriorating relationships, and we'll be breaking all the commands. If you're trusting yourself, to generate the affirmation and the acceptance of God, you're going to end up in some terrible sort of inner condemnation or some intolerable sort of arrogance, depending on whether you succeed or fail in your own eyes. We met with the leaders uh, for Friday, Thursday, Thursday, that are taking the students to set some expectations that they're stepping out in faith and they want to do a good job with those students. So we showed up to tell them what they should do because they wanted to know. We wanted to encourage them and set the bar to clarify what we hoped they would do with the students. And we said, we need you to rest in him. 
We need to be rock solid with God, following Jesus, listening to the Spirit. You do not need to get this perfectly right. You do not need to have all the answers or any answers. We need you to pursue God. God needs the church to pursue God, to rest in him, to love Jesus, to listen to the Spirit and help one another. We're all children. We're all beggars just trying to help each other find some bread. Help someone else follow Jesus. Hear from God. Rest in him. They aren't going to rest in your answers. We read in this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. Memorize this. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. You've been called, and I'll say this, even to do something. It's not primary. And it's not you that's going to do the real work that needs to get done. It's God. How about that? The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Pursue God. Accept the work of Jesus. Be transformed in your heart because if your heart is soft and humble, if you're more like an empty-handed child than a fully accessorized man or woman, if you're walking by faith rather than stumbling along trying to prove and validate yourself, you will be fulfilling the only true and necessary law of God. There's only one law that's necessary. And the fulfillment of that law comes out of a transformed, softening heart that is resting in the gospel. This is how Paul put it. I'll finish with this. And we will celebrate together. We celebrate a little bit. We celebrate, Tammy, you already celebrate. Okay, listen. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, which is pretty dang good if you can do that. You can speak in the tongue of angels, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy... I can anticipate what God's going to do and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith I can move mountains but I do not love. I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's all about love. It's all about rest in him. It's not about what you do. Get a better bracelet. You can keep that. What would you just do it on? It's a good one to have on. Yeah, bigger one. (laughs) What did Jesus do? Let's stand together. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done (laughs) because it doesn't matter. You can celebrate right now. It doesn't matter if you've failed. It doesn't matter what your faults are. It's not about what you do or don't do. Right now, you can celebrate the good news. He loves you and he welcomes you in.